Goedemiddag en welkom hier op die roadtrip show. Hier saam met Diederik en myself. Hoop jylle het een lekker week gehad so ver. En uh, ja, jullie moet gerust na ons vorige episode gaan luister waar jy uh, twee dagen in die Lord Milner Hotel in Maaikiesfontein kon wen. So, kyk op ons Facebookblad. Al die besonderhede is daar. Ek dink amper hy is heel boon die page vastgepin. So jy kan hom nie mis nie. En uh, ja, so gaan luister lekker daar so en skryf in vir die competitie. Diederik, welcome back. And good afternoon again, dear Walt. Where are we going today? Was that my choice? Am I behind the steering wheel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we left off uh, in uh, Mikey's Fontaine last week. Uh, yeah, no, last, last week we had fun. We explored the whole... Mikey's village Fontaine, of Mikey's yeah. Fontaine. I mean, that took a good forty-five minutes just to just to chat about it, and yeah, that's the whole idea behind this road trip and the road trip app is to show you these little hidden gems. I mean, normally you go f- screaming past at one hundred and twenty kilometers an hour, and you ignore these little towns. But Mikey's Fontaine is a great spot, and obviously we're pushing Mikey's Fontaine. Great competition, two nights at the Lord Milner up for grabs. All you got to do, listen to the show. Have a look at their website, download the Road Trip app. There's a couple of answers on there that you ain't going to find anywhere else. And uh, on all our Facebook links and all our social media stuff are the entry forms. Yes. So it's just yeah. a question. And it's gonna, the competition is going to come to an end at the last, the last Wednesday of this month. So you've still, you still got three weeks to do it. But, <laughs> yes, uh, three weeks. Three weeks, three weeks to fill it in. Episode 8. <laughs> yeah, we're on. Yeah, we're on episode eight right now. This is nine. This no, this is nine. Today, today's yeah. number nine. Today's number nine. Mikey's Fontaine is uh, number eight. Mikey's Fontaine was was, was <laughs> podcast or episode number eight. But yeah, we we were traveling out of out of Cape Town and going up the N1, and obviously that's the main arterial road from Cape Town right up to Bite Bridge, and <clears throat> we've gone through Hex River Valley and the beautiful mountain passes there, the end of the vineyards, the start of the Cape Fold Mountains. You're coming up the Hex River Valley, then you hit, you start hitting the, the start of the Karoo. You go through Toes River, the old railway the railway junction spot, and then you hit Mikey's Fontaine. After Mikey's Fontaine, Lanesburg, that place with the floods, yep. those terrible floods a couple of years back. And then you almost start hitting the first bits and pieces of the Anglo-Boer War. You hit that blockhouse just outside of Lanesburg. And from there, you now get into the next. The next little stop is a very dusty, forlorn little town called Liuhamka. 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 <laughs> now, we're going to go into high English here. It is one of the few tautological names in South Africa. Tautology. Tautological <laughs> names. Tautology. Tauto- tautology is the English term for using excess words or double words in a single meaning. Ooh. Because... Yeah. Um, Liu Khamka is obviously Liu, Afrikaans for lion. Yeah. But Khamka also means lion river. So Liu Khamka is actually lion, lion river. Okay. <laughs> That's, I did not know so, that. So, so, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a really dusty little town. And there's, there's, a, there's a sprinkling of little houses. Again, it was built on the railway line. But now that railways have been surpassed by the, by the trucking industry and stuff, those little towns seem to be dying. Yeah. But um, in... In Liuhamka, there is a little blockhouse, another one of these blockhouses, and you've got to, when you, when you go into little, these kind of places, and you realize how far you are from the border of the old Transvaal and Free State, you're 300 k's outside of Cape Town, the British were putting up defenses against the Boers. <clears throat> and you know, that's how far the war actually stretched. Yeah. The Anglo-Boer War. Or oh, sorry, the... Um, <clears throat> 
Second, second. War of Independence. <laughs> yeah. The Second War of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at Liu Hamka, guys, and guys, there's, some, there's a fantastic little farm stall in Liu Hamka. You've got to get their biltong. No road trip is complete without decent biltong, and they make an awesome mil- oh, milk tart yes. as well. So coffee, milk tart, <laughs> stock up on biltong and Liu Hamka. And, uh, and in Liu Hamka, it's kind of decision time. Because I was actually coming out of Cape Town one year, and look, it was a lousy time of year. It was around Christmas. I think it was. The, it was I think it was possibly the twenty third or twenty fourth of December or something. Oh wow! Okay, just before Christmas. Just before Christmas, and I came out of Cape Town, and you you hit the Hex River Valley, and you're sitting behind the trucks, and you know there's heavy traffic, but it's 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 handleable. The road is wide enough; you can overtake. The truck drivers generally move over to the left hand side to let you go past. But at Liu Hamka, we actually came to a standstill. It was a traffic jam on the N1. The traffic was at a standstill. There was that much traffic trying to do something, whatever the hell it was. But I looked at that and I said, if I've got to do another 11 or 1,200 kilometers into Johannesburg in this kind of traffic, I'm, I'm going to actually wind up murdering someone on the road. The, the road rage is actually going to take over from me. Yeah. So at Liu Hamka... That day I decided, right, let's, let's, let's try an alternative route. And it was an absolutely stunning route. It was to, you, you, you turn off onto the, um, the R353 to Fraserburg. Okay. Fraserburg, you hit Carnarvon, you go Prisca, Douglas, Kimberley. And from Kimberley is just then the normal track back up into, into Gauteng. A lot of it yeah. is on dirt, but a beautiful road. So Liu Hamka can be a, a bit of a decision point if you're driving up. Um, to Johannesburg. If you carry on on the N1, you're getting up to Beaufort West. Beaufort West, next stop is Three Sisters, and there again is your decision point, because Three Sisters is also a possible road up through to um, Bridgetown, Strydenburg, Hopetown, Kimberley. So you've got two routes to get up through through to Kimberley, or you just keep on the N3 and sort of the Beaufort West, Colesburg, Bloemfontein, normal road up. Yeah. So, in Liu Hamka, if you're feeling a little bit adventurous, my, honestly, my, my advice to you is one day, go that Fraserburg route. And it's a beautiful tar road into Fraserburg. And Fraserburg is, again, a tiny little town. And believe it or not there's actually a couple of things to see and do in all of these tiny little dusty towns in the Karoo. okay and <laughs> you will come across it and i mean in in i found these these memorials now all over south africa there are great trek memorials for the centenary of the great trek okay now my podcasts are starting to go out and there's an awful lot of people listening in from canada believe it or not the u.s Oh, from wow. Europe. In fact, Europe and Canada actually have more listeners than South Africa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. And the great, the great trick was a mass migration of farmers in ox wagons, 1838, 1836, 1838 period. Due to the maladministration of the British in the Eastern Cape area, the British were just not capable of running it efficiently down in the Eastern Cape area, much unhappiness with government, much unhappiness with, there was almost 100 years of constant warfare along that Eastern Cape boundary around the Grahamstown, East London, Port Elizabeth kind of area. There was a constant shifting of boundaries. So eventually there's a mass migration of people out of the Eastern Cape area northwards 
looking for independence, looking just to have a more peaceful life and not constant strife and trouble over land and cattle thieving and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you can think of the American West or the wagons, you know, those iconic pictures, those wagon trains, little covered wagons, South Africa had exactly the same thing. <laughs> they estimate <laughs> somewhere around 16,000 odd people in total migrated out of the Eastern Cape area into wow. what is now the Transvaal, KZN That's kind huge. of areas. Some of those ox wagons made it right up into um, what is now Namibia. One crowd got lost in Angola. One lot, one lot got uh, died of malaria eventually what is now Maputo in Mozambique. So it's a massive migration. And if you look at a map of, that, of what is called the Great Trek, it's like a little spider web over the central plains of South Africa. Because one thing with the four trekkers is if you put four of them in a group, you've got five churches and six political parties in within the space of an hour. They could never agree on anything. <laughs> and this crowd would go off left, and this crowd would go off right, and then they'd all regret the decision, and then they'd come together for a mass mass meeting again, and then they'd all get all cross with each other, and then they'd all disappear again in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a really, really interesting part of our history, and one of the iconic things you've got to do visiting South Africa is go to the Fortrecker Monument in Pretoria. We covered that one a little bit earlier in one of the earlier episodes. But on the 100th anniversary of the Great Trek, they reenacted the Great Trek. Ox wagons departed from the Eastern Cape and from some of the major cities and trekked right throughout South Africa. Okay. And wow. I found some of these memorials in the strangest and weirdest little towns. Um, and there's one day I was exploring along the Orange River up the other side of Uppington, Uppington towards Camus. Camus. Down towards Camus. I've gone through Camus and a little dirt road down. And there's, a, there's like a nice little tangle of roads along, along the Orange or the Kharib River. And there stands an Oxwagon Memorial. Okay. <laughs> in the middle of the vineyards. There's vineyards up along, along the Kharib River as well. That's where a lot of wine is starting to be produced there. Some of the more fortified yeah. wines are being produced there, along with raisins. You know, you see as you yeah. drive along that river, there's massive slabs of concrete thrown out in the in the areas where they, once the fruit's harvested, they throw it out on these concrete slabs to dry. So your yeah. raisins and your dried fruit comes from there. Okay. But there was a 1938 Trek Memorial standing outside Camus. But in Fraserburg, there's actually one of the nicer ones. And for a tiny little town, it's a little bit odd to find that. But what they did with a lot of them, and I mean... All the main routes have got these 1938 memorials. I know that there's one in Dahlstrom, for example, where they've actually buried a little box with mementos in it. Oh, okay. To be opened in 2038. <laughs> wow. All righty then. <laughs> and there's, there's, I think the records are lost. I don't think anybody really knows what's in these little boxes and stuff. The little time capsule have been buried. Yeah. They'll we'll have to see when they open it. Yeah. And <laughs> surprise, with surprise. a lot of those memorials, it seemed to be the standard type of memorial, it's a little stone cairn, a little spire kind of thing, obviously a little memorial, memorial plaque on it. But they actually took the ox wagon through some wet cement. So you see the ox oh. wagon tracks as well as the hooves of the oxen commemorating that particular event. And those are, those are dotted all over the country. But it, it goes to show what an epic and iconic and game-changing event the Great Trek actually was and how deep-rooted it is in our culture and in our history. Yeah. And at a guess, I would put probably well over 100 
little memorials all over the country to the 1938 commemorative trek. Yeah. So 1938, you're talking about ox wagons, women dressed in four trekker kit, long long dresses, cuppies on the guys <laughs> yeah, on, on the horses, <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing the whole thing around around that, and that sort of coincided with the with the with the four trekker monument opening and stuff in Pretoria as well. So okay, we you have to whenever you speak in the history of South Africa that that the Great Trek was an absolute iconic and game changing part of our history yeah and you have to understand the great trek put it into context if you're going to have any kind of understanding of the politics and history and the shaping of our current current country yeah so yeah in fraserburg there's one of these little memorials and the other thing that's quite interesting in fraserburg and it's something that you wouldn't expect from a tiny little Karoo town is there's actually a very cool little local museum okay and it's the O Pasturi Museum. So obviously in the old <laughs> yeah. pastor's house. But they have a very a pretty extensive dinosaur collection. Dinosaur? A dinosaur collection in Fraserburg. <laughs> oh my way. <laughs> <laughs> and when you drive the Karoo, most people's vision of the Karoo is these long, flat, boring roads through dusty nothing. And you've got these occasional flat-topped copies and stuff everywhere. Yeah. But what you are looking at is erosion off an ancient plateau. And the Karoo is one of the fossil hotspots in the world. And this, particu- this particu- particular collection of dinosaurs is um, from the Middle Permian era. Now you're talking 260, 270 million years ago. Wow. Okay. So these were... <clears throat> Sort of proto dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> proto dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, these were like some of the really first serious dinosaurs. But you're talking huge animals. You're talking two tons, two and a half ton animals. Yeah. And very primitive dinosaurs. They, you know, they they call the dinocephalian dinosaurs. Dinocephalian cephala. Cephalo is obviously referring to the head. And they okay. were characterized by very <clears throat> thick skulls. Skulls with lots of projections and horns and bumps and things on them. Okay. And if you think about it it, it, it it looks almost like a bit like a, a cross between a giant lizard and a frog. <laughs> okay. Front legs slightly bigger than back legs. But they, they were carnivorous <coughs> ones. They were vegetarian ones. And there's an absolute treasure trove of fossils in that entire Karoo region. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, driving through the countryside... And some of those landscapes, it's not hard to imagine seeing dinosaurs and things walking around those little flat-topped hills and little what we call copies. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just, again, it's just something that you don't expect in a tiny little town like Fraserburg to have a, quite a significant dinosaur collection. Yes. <laughs> if you ever go to the Cape Town, Cape Town Natural History Museum at the top end of the gardens in Cape Town, again, fantastic day visit there. In the dinosaur section of there, they've got they've got models and things of these dinosaurs, and they put them into context in the Karoo and and, and um, give you a lot of the history of that. So, and then also in in Fraserburg, there's what we call a little corbelled house. Corbelled. A corbelled house. And while I was while I was sort of preparing for the show today on this one, it sort of struck me that the corbelled house is basically a stone igloo. <laughs> it's round. It's got the dome roof. 
Yeah. There's no cement in it. There's nothing. It's just stones piled on top of each other. And it's, a, it's an igloo, stone igloo about six meters high. Sure. It's a traditional way of building the, what we used to call the trek boers we had in the late 1700s, developed from the sort of late 1600s, 1700s to the early, you know, around that period, a, a group of people that we call trek boers. Trek in Afrikaans from translated yeah. means nomadic, nomadic farmers. Yeah, yeah. And they were landless people, but probably some of the biggest stock owners that the world has ever seen. Literally herds of thousands of cattle or sheep that they would then just nomadically look after trekking around the country. Yeah. Because South Africa at that stage was just open land. Yes, yes. And the trek boers would then build semi-permanent shelters and they adopted the local building style of the Khoisan and of the um, Khoi Khoi. Ah, And okay. local knowledge is always the best. You can never <laughs> beat local knowledge. Your yeah. Inuit people build a igloo. Why? It's easy to build. It's blocks of ice that all sort of sit on top of each other and form a form a decent structure. Yeah. The corbelled house is exactly the same thing. The temperature regulation of those things is amazing. In summer, it is beautifully cool. Yeah. In winter, you are able to build a fire in it, and to get rid of the smoke, you just open up one of the one of the stones on top of the roof, and the smoke would get get out the top. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a beautiful example of a corbelled house. In Fraserburg on the main road. Awesome. Over the road from the Old Pasturi Museum. Yeah. How big is that museum? Is it not? It's two, two or three decent rooms. They've got a, you know, a couple of old wagons and things in there. Um, but yeah, just, just, just a really, really cool little, yeah. little, little spot yeah. to, to, to visit. But once you're done in, in Fraserburg, and I, I seem to remember Fraserburg, it was a journey, it was a trip that I did, did with um, my two daughters in the car, and they were only too happy that dad was out of the traffic off, off the N1 that day. <laughs> 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 and, and in Fraserburg, and I, and I remember we, I think we were looking for some panados or something. Yeah, they saw your rev counter going. Uh, they saw high. my rev counter going. <laughs> and we were looking for some panadas or some, for some cough mixture or something, and there's, there's, one, there's one little supermarket in Fraserburg. And that supermarket is everything. It's the, it's the butchery, it's the veggie shop, it's the stationery shop, it's also the chemist. It's the, <laughs> it's the whole lot, only one little shop next to the garage. That's the kind of little town that you're looking yeah. at in Fraserburg. <laughs> but if you, if you leave, when you leave Fraserburg, the, ne the next road you take, and, I seem to, and as far as I recall, the, um, the road then turns to dirt. It's good dirt, surprisingly enough. If you, you, know, you obviously need a car that can handle a decent dirt road. You want, you yeah. want a little bit of stability control, and 4x4 four four is obviously quite useful. Yeah, yeah. But then you turn off, and you head off now to the little town called Carnarvon. Lord Carnarvon, British oh. nobility, that's oh, where those yes, names yeah, all come yeah. from. But once you're in Carnarvon, again, you've got blockhouses. Oh, yes, the lanes. The, like, you've Lansburg. got blockhouses. Thousands of these blockhouses were built all over South Africa. Yeah. And you've got round ones, square ones, corrugated iron ones, ones made out of sandbags with cement. You've got square ones. You know, there's all sorts of different designs. Obviously, the British were looking to find out the most economic way to build these things. If you're building thousands and thousands and thousands of structures, you've got to find yeah. some decent yeah. way to build them. I don't think any of them were comfortable. 
for the soldiers that were garrisoned <laughs> there. Not not a single one of them was comfortable. Especially the iron corrugated iron ones. <laughs> yeah, I know that, that that must have been an absolute oven to sit in. Again, there's a blockhouse on a little, very appropriately named little little copy called Kulkop, Bullet Mountain. Kulkop. <laughs> Kulkop. Cool not not cool as in cabbage, but cool as in bullet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, so it's not a Kulkop. Not a Kulkop. A Kulkop. 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 Okay. <laughs> and again, there's another corbelled house in. <laughs> in um, in Carnarvon, slightly different design. If you can think of those West African structures where you see like the wooden poles that stick out of the building to give it a bit of stability. Yeah. And that one, interestingly enough, was actually originally found on a farm in the area called Bissy's Pit. Bissies and they moved it into town. And the local rapport rayers actually took on that project. The rapport rayers, again, an equivalence type of organization to the Boy Scouts. Okay, yeah. Okay. The Afrikaans version of the Boy Scouts. Obviously, the yeah. Afrikaans, they didn't want to do Boy Scouts. It was Baden-Powell. That was from Muffet King. British, enemy, English-speaking. No, can't do that. So we will form our own Scouts. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so they made, they decided to do um, the report race. Again, there's a little museum in town. Strange enough, there's um, a pretty good display in, in there, believe it or not, of, of World War II. World War II memorabilia. Okay. And then there's the World War II memorial in Carnarvon. And again, it strikes you. You're in this tiny little town. And yet somehow World War II was such a massive event that it even hit these tiny little towns. Wow. And the names of the <laughs> fallen, fallen soldiers that originated from Carnarvon are engraved on that little memorial. Okay. So even these tiny little dorpies and tiny little villages dotted out in the middle of the Karoo lost men in World War II. Yeah. And a lot of those memorials then also commemorate the First World War. It's an interesting one. We'd just come out of the Second War of Independence, a.k.a. Boer War. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of anti-British feeling in the country. You're talking the peace is signed 1902. Now suddenly 1914, Jan Smuts wants to take us into World War I as part of the yeah. British Empire. That people who volunteered for World War I, you actually had to volunteer to fight in World War I. It was a huge thing. There was a rebellion against it. And, okay. you know, General De Witt got shot, got shot in Johannesburg because of it and... You know, 1914 <laughs> was a rebellion against siding with Britain. A whole lot of people wanted to side with Germany. Yeah. yeah. Just, just not because they like Germany, but because they're just anti-British. Yeah. <laughs> and you actually had to resign your post in the Union Defense Force at that time and then re-sign as a volunteer. So you literally you'd walk to one table, you'd, you'd resign, you walk to the next table, and you'd sign, sign on, on for foreign service. <laughs> so they, couldn't, oh, wow. they didn't want to force anybody... <clears throat> To now go and fight for the for for the British Empire. Yeah, and South African soldiers. I mean, they still hold. I think I think we still hold the record for the longest forced march ever, where soldiers went out of Uppington, and where the Kalahari Hensburg National Park is now. Actually, followed the rivers and went into what was then German Southwest Africa. Yeah. 
Now, if you've ever traveled that area, I mean, it's dusty, nothing. There's no water, there's nothing. And a lot of the wells and things were actually dug along those roads and along those routes in order to supply the soldiers' water. Yeah. Because we went then in force into German Southwest Africa to kick the Germans out yeah. of, of their territory, which we actually did quite successfully. So that, that's how German Southwest Africa, after World War I, became a semi-South African, what we'll call then a protectorate. Okay. Because we had conquered the Germans yeah. in yeah. German Southwest Africa, and that's when that's when um, it became normal. It just became Southwest Africa, and now, of course, today it's Namibia. But we served in German East African campaign, Tanzania, World War One. Tanzanian campaign is a very interesting one, but that doesn't really fit into our road trip. It's a hell of a drive from Joburg to get into Tanzania, so we'll leave that <laughs> one at the moment. We served in the Western Front, the trenches of France um, and Belgium. And we also served in Palestine, today Israel and Palestine. Palestine. South African soldiers yeah. served there as well. Okay. But it's so cool that we kicked the, uh, the Germans' backsides <laughs> in those days. I think that's so cool. <laughs> it's, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a very interesting little... I mean, if you look at it in the bigger picture of World War I, it's a, it's a little sideshow. It's a little colonial sideshow, really. Yeah. But yet, the endurance of those guys... I mean, you're walking... Dust, dirt, flies, heat, you know, no water. Yeah, and I suppose it was not just a hundred Ks. No, 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 no. That was that was that was that was hard work to get up that side. Yeah. Yeah, so the World War Two Memorial commemorates all of these South Africans that fought around the world. And then you in some of the towns you even see I mean South Africans participated in Korea, for example, in the Korean War in the nineteen fifties. South Africans, especially the South African Air Force. Okay. And in fact, there's a South African Air Force Memorial in Pyongyang in Korea. Wow, okay. Commemorating <laughs> the South African Air Force flyers who, who, who took on the Chinese yeah. there. Yeah, as well as obviously in the Royal Air Force. They volunteered in the, in the Royal Air Force Battle of Britain. Sailor yeah. Malan being one of the highest scoring aces in the Battle of Britain. South African guy. <laughs> yeah. So those those little memorials, World War Two memorials, sitting there in in in, in Carnarvon, and then you turn off to Priska. Now Priska is one of these surprising little towns because it's on the banks of the Kharib River. So you're driving through dusty, real dusty Karoo, and suddenly you start hitting these these little. Um, yeah, it starts it starts getting a little bit greener. You start seeing a little bit of agriculture, yeah. and suddenly out pops out pops a little town like Priska. Again, there's another blockhouse in Priska on the hill, much like Carnarvon, and built there to protect the town of Priska from the the yeah. poor raids. What's interesting there is that that particular one is made entirely of the stone called Tiger's Eye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh, it's just yes, like a beautiful yes. sparkly. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. I remember those. Tiger's eye. Tiger's eye is that <laughs> is that is that stone that that's got like the brown and the black stripes in it. Yeah. When you when you when you polish it up, it's a semi precious gemstone. Yeah. But so much of that stuff lies around Priska that they actually built the blockhouse out of. Wow, out, it out, must out, be out. spectacular. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very very special. And and again, you know, when you visit these little blockhouses, the blockhouses are obviously all built for a purpose. They just didn't decide to. Plonk a, a blockhouse yeah. somewhere. <laughs> so these blockhouses, like Carnarvon and in and in Priska, are built on the high on the high ground. Yeah. So if you get up there, most of them got roads to them. And you get up there, you actually get a beautiful view of the surrounding countryside. Yeah. So there's like a little 
byproduct of having a bit of interest in these places. You actually get yes. a, a beautiful view of what's happening in there. And again, there's a 1938 Great Trek Memorial in Priska, again with the ox wagon tracks and with the, to the, the ox hooves and stuff in there. Yeah. And what is interesting in Priska is the Dutch Reformed Church. Now, I, I have a theory in South Africa, when you travel in South Africa, that the smaller the town is, the bigger the church is. And some of these towns, uh, the, 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 the Dutch Reformed Churches, form the centerpiece of the entire village. And it is the most beautiful architecture and the most beautiful buildings. And the one... The one in, in Priska dates back to um, 1878. Well, that's the congregation dates back to, back to then already. And you can imagine what's happening there. Diamonds have been discovered in 1867. Okay. okay so we just <clears throat> after the discovery of diamonds in South Africa. So diamonds predate the discovery of gold. And the diamonds were alluvial diamonds along that whole Orange Harib River system right down. I mean, you know, the diamond areas, the forbidden areas, the Spargebiet in, yeah. in, in Namibia, the north coast, the north coast of um, South Africa there as well along the west coast is all forbidden area because literally you walk on the beach, you're picking up handfuls of diamonds. And That's awesome. I want to go. Those little towns <laughs> become real minor towns it's all adventurous guys looking for their fortune gold rush gold rush type of mentality in that time and and 10 years later not even yeah 10 years later the first congregation is already formed churches are being built but the beauty of that church in um, Priska is it's got a Cape Dutch design so yeah. the design of the church, the architecture of the church is just something just, just something different. You know, church church architecture follows a pretty standard pattern. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's the cross and it's the arched windows and it's the gables and you've got a church yeah. spire, which is normally just a straight pointy yeah. pointy tower. But this particular one's actually got Cape Dutch gables in the tower. Okay. So if you can imagine the Cape Dutch houses from Cape Town, the, you know, that's sort of you got the, 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 the circle and then the semicircle and then the little bit on top. Yeah. The tower, the actual church spire, has got Cape Dutch gables in it, which makes it kind of unique in South Africa. Yeah. And it's got one of the biggest church organs in the country. Have you, uh, <laughs> talking about churches now, have you seen the one in Wooster, Die Moedergemeente? Have yes. you seen that church? Yeah. That's also a huge one. They are stunning. Those churches just dominate these little towns. Yeah. They, they're absolutely spectacular. Okay, Wooster is not that big anymore, uh, uh, that small anymore. Um, well, in the years since I left there, it's grown quite a bit. But yeah, that's a huge church. No, they are. The, the, the churches, I mean, it's, it's worth stopping just to admire the architecture of those, of, of, of those buildings. Yeah. And just, just an interesting tie back to one of our previous episodes. The first, the first diamond was actually discovered very close to what is now Hope Town. So if, you, if you're going up to sort of Gharib, Hope Town's down and the Hamadullah's a little bit down and sort of your right-hand side there. But it ties back to when we were talking about Grahamstown, Makanda, and that's got the spot with the, um, with the what, what the thing called again, a toposcope. Um, oh, camera obscura, sorry, the camera obscura. Remember the camera obscura, the little like periscope tower that you got in the museum oh. where you can secretly sit in your room and you've got this periscope that shows you what's happening on the streets outside. Ah, okay. The guy who owned the building in Makanda, a guy by the name of Galpin, 
He was the guy who actually identified the first diamond in South Africa. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that ties away. They sent it all the way down. The people wouldn't, didn't believe what it was. And the, our, our journey today sort of is now heading up towards Kimberley. Yeah. And if you get to Kimberley, you've got to visit the big hole. You've got the, yeah. the, 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 the greatest, biggest man-made excavation, I think, in the world. But in the information center, De Beers has put up, the Anglo-American stroke De Beers has put up this beautiful information center. And they've got a little movie that, that, that they show there, and it runs every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes or something. They show the movie, and you sit down. Yeah. And they actually tell the story of, of this first diamond that's discovered. And I think a, a, a little boy actually discovered it. Oh, and gave it okay. to a traveling salesman. Yeah, you, know, you had these traveling salesmen with wagons and full of full of snake oil and, and, and nonsense, yeah. mooties and medicines <laughs> and stuff. You know, they're all like, they're snake oil peddlers. Yeah. And I think he swapped it for a bottle of cough mixture or something. So this 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 trader's now got this this diamond and he eventually gives it to someone else who gives it to somebody else and eventually someone goes, Hang on guys. This, this is not just a little piece of crystal <laughs> or something. This is something different. Yeah. And they sent it off for analysis, and then they discovered it was diamonds. And I don't think they've ever really discovered where it was picked up. It was somewhere on the banks of a river near Hopetown. Yeah. And that started the entire diamond industry in South Africa. Well, before we go any further into Kimberley and that, uh, let's go actually play a song about diamonds, and we'll be back shortly. <laughs> diamonds are Round my little finger Unlike men, the diamonds linger And we are back, we are back Like a song um, there by, who was that? That's um, Bruce, Brucey boy, yeah, Brucey boy, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Yes, glory days. Now that's a, <laughs> like a road trip sh- uh, song. That was an absolutely essential road trip song. I can't speak today. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. so yeah, 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 that really typical road trip for me was a dirt road, couple of hundred kilometers on dirt, good dirt, but these little gems and little places that you suddenly discover. And then, you know, now Priska, Priska, you're heading into Kimberley. Kimberley is an episode all on its own. The history of Kimberley is also pretty impressive. You've got those larger-than-life figures. You've got Cecil John Rhodes. You've got the Siege of Kimberley. Obviously, yeah. the old diamond mining thing. I've got, to, I've got to actually tell you a story about Kimberley. I was with a different trip. I'm with my youngest daughter. Okay. And, uh, again, you're in the big hole museum complex info center. I mean, give it, give it a name. Yes. So it's, it's really worth a visit. A little reconstructed... Little village from the eighteen hundred little town there, you can, and it's all—it's actually very cleverly done. I mean, even if you're completely on your own, the minute you walk into the saloon, the little mannequins start singing at you because they've got little <laughs> like little infrared beams. You cross the beam, and suddenly the museum comes to light. Oh wow! Now, okay. If you if you're not expecting it, it's actually quite scary because suddenly you walk, <laughs> the, 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 the little puppet starts talking to you. But part of the part of it is you can so-called go underground. Okay, so. You, you're in the mining complex, you, you looked at the hole, you come back, and the guy says, oh, come, come look at the mine shaft, you pop into, a, into an old lift elevator thing, yeah. and then, it, then it, it shakes and it carries on and it rumbles and grumbles and carries on a little bit. It probably, <laughs> I think it goes down like one floor, it feels like a lot longer, and they bang on it with hammers and stuff. And oh, then yeah. the other side of the doors, the other doors open, you know, so you go in the one side and you walk out the other side. 
<laughs> and now you are supposedly underground. Yeah, but isn't there a real mine shaft that they do take people down, or, or is that? I inquired. I think there used to be. I don't think that's allowed anymore for safety reasons. I think in I'm thinking Gold Reef City. You Gold, can. I think that's Gold what Reef I'm City. I think maybe of. you're thinking of Gold Reef City. Yeah. I think that's what I'm. Gold Reef City, you actually can go down to the first real mining level that was that was there. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, now Kimberly said, you now pop out of the lift and now you're in the so-called mine, and you can see it's been put up. I mean, it's very cleverly done. There's little display cabinets and all the mining tools and how they did it and photographs and the old trains and cocoa pans, you know, the ore moving kit. Yeah, yeah. And you walk down this little passageway. And my daughter's with me, and we now she's probably at this stage nine or ten years old. Okay. And somewhere along the line, you you we I worked it out later, but you walk across this little that's like an alarm beam, so you trigger the sequence of events. Ah. So suddenly you start hearing rumble, rumble, rumble. You start hearing whistles and sirens going, and you're looking at this and going, "What? What? In, what, 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 what? What? What's going on here?" Going on. And then in this little cavern at the side, you, there's this almighty bang, flashes of light, you know, the sound of rocks and things falling all over the place. Now, they're simulating a blast yeah. of, of loosening the rocks that they can mine. So I'm looking <laughs> at this and I'm wondering what's happening. I turn around and my daughter's gone. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> she heard that first bang and she hightailed it out that mine. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> So we we have sort of a family joke about my brave my brave mining daughter, <laughs> but very very cleverly done. But Kimberly, like I said, we can do Kimberly on an episode all on its own. Yeah. But now if we backtrack, we I I taken the road out to Fraserburg, coming out of Leo Hamka after buying my built on Leo Hamka, of course. But if you stick on to the N1, the next major town you hit is Beaufort West. Oh yeah, and that that's that's again one what quite a quite a major cent, uh, center in the Karoo. Recently, well, recently, the Karoo National Park obviously is right there, and national parks again are episodes all on its own. But the entrance to the Karoo National Park is right there, and stunning, absolutely stunning area. They've reintroduced a lot of the original species there. They got lion in the park now. Beautiful places to stay, old restored cottages and farmhouses to stay in in the Karoo National Park just outside town. Yeah. But what's interesting for me, again, okay, there's another war memorial. Um, but what's interesting for me there is you've actually got historical pear trees. Pear, pear trees. Proper fruit pear trees. Now, towns like Stellenbosch, we know, have got the historical oak trees, the Akerstadt. Even the trees in, in um, Stellenbosch are declared national monuments and under special protection, so you may not do anything to the, to the trees in, in Stellenbosch. But Beaufort West has got protected pear trees. Now, what happened in Beaufort West, now you can imagine old days, dust roads, Karoo town, dry desert conditions, lots of dust, you know, the wagons and things kicking up the dust and stuff in town. So what happened was in... Um, in 1837 already, the municipality of Beaufort West encouraged the residents of the town to plant trees, and in particular, fruit trees. Because that area, strangely enough, although it's so dry, mulberries seem to grow there very well. Some of the deciduous fruits seem to grow very well in Beaufort West. And the obvious reason for it is 
it curbs the dust, um, you get shade on the main roads. It is also mulberry wood, at least strangely enough, is a very, very beautiful wood to use in the manufacture of furniture. Very deeply, richly colored wood from mulberry trees. Okay. So the municipality encouraged people to actually grow, grow these kind of trees. And these two trees on the, on the pavement, as you're coming in from the southern side of, of Beaufort West, date back to 1850 and 1860. Wow. <laughs> so, that's yeah, quite a while I, I, I know no other town that's got protected um, pear trees. Yeah, wow. So the town has got a huge variety of, of fruit trees. They've got, they've got um, acacia trees. They've, they've got nuts. They've got, uh, yeah, just a, just a little interesting aside. And they actually have bylaws in Beaufort West protecting the fruit trees. You're not allowed to do nasty things to the fruit trees in yeah. Beaufort West. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> weird when you put it like that. <laughs> Chris Barnard. Chris Barnard hails from Beaufort West. His father oh, was yeah. actually a That's pastor true. in the Dutch Reformed Church in Beaufort West. Chris Barnard, there's a museum to Chris Barnard in Beaufort West. Yeah. Again, one of the little hidden gems that you don't know about. And obviously, you know, Chris Barnard, 3rd of December 1967, the first successful heart transplant in the world. Yeah. From a homegrown guy from South Africa down in Grotteskeer Hospital in Cape Town where that happened. Yes. And uh, the Dutch Reformed Church, we're talking about these churches. The Dutch Reformed Church in Beaufort West is one of those mammoth constructions that overshadows the entire town. I don't, I don't yeah. think you can miss that church from anywhere in town. No matter where you stand, you'll see a part of that church. beautiful Dutch Reformed <laughs> Church. It's the, it's the 12th oldest church in South Africa. And I was trying to, trying to look at uh, some, some, of these, some of these churches today. The oldest church in South Africa, the oldest existing church in South Africa, yeah. is actually the Lutheran Church in Strand Street in Cape Town, okay. which dates back to 1792. Sure. The oldest place of yeah. Christian worship, as far as I can ascertain in South Africa, is actually when um, Bartholomew Dias came on, on shore in 1488 in Mossel Bay. Okay. That they actually erected a little cross there and... That was the said, place said, said thanks worship. for safe yeah. deliverance and finding land and water. Yeah. So it's possible that, uh, that Christian worship goes back already to 1488 in, in, in Mossel Bay. Yeah. But yeah, so Beaufort West is one of those little, little again, it's and one of my favorite spots. Beaufort West is sort of heading to the other side from Johannesburg down to Cape Town. Beaufort West is sort of your target. And if you leave early enough, you hit Beaufort West by about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, there's beautiful little lodges and hotels and things. I've got a little favorite spot just before you get into Beaufort West up on the hills there. Okay. Again, interesting, interesting place. It's built in an old farmhouse. It's a farmhouse that's now a lodge. And it was built by an officer, an English officer, who decided to stay in South Africa after the Second War of Independence. He'd wow. fallen in love with South Africa. And, I mean, you can see it coming out from, you know, industrialized England and miserable weather and full yeah. of Englishmen and tasteless food. <laughs> you come out to South Africa and you got an option for a farm in the Karoo. Yeah. Uh, and, and sitting on that veranda at night is just, it, it's mind-blowing. You, you just sit there and you see the lights of Beaufort West twinkling in the distance. Then you realize why it's there because Beaufort West, the road, goes straight through two little copies in a valley. So it was the easiest road yeah. to build. And obviously the ox wagons and things in those days yes. was the... 
assembly point for that. And you sit there at night, it's deadly silent, stars overhead, jackals are calling. Yeah. I mean, beautiful. it's mind-blowing, mind-blowing beautiful. So I, I, I love Pokeford West. <clears throat> but we're turning around again, we're still heading north. And your next stop is Three Sisters. Three Sisters? That's the place called Three <laughs> Sisters. I think we all know Three Sisters. It's one of those, again, one of those iconic little spots. Yeah. And again, another blockhouse. <laughs> and this one I actually found, strangely enough, using Google Maps. Now, I'm not all Garmin. Sorry, Garmin. I'm not a great fan of Garmin. Garmin's awesome when it comes to directions <laughs> and distance and time and stuff. But when it comes to things like petrol stations and museums and that kind of stuff, it's way out. But I was actually driving through there one day and I saw on Garmin that there was a little thingy saying historical place of interest or something or historical point. Yeah. And... You go off the main road and you go through a donga, through a river. You bend around a couple of trees and then suddenly there's this blockhouse. And strangely enough, still in pretty good condition. Most of them, I mean, you're talking stuff from, from, from 1900, 1900, 1902. I mean, the stuff's yeah. old and gone and, and broken. Yes. But this particular one is actually still in pretty good condition. The floors are still there. The steel ladders are still there. And you can sort of still climb up inside it and get up to the top, look out towers. Okay. And it was built... In that particular spot, all of them built for a reason. It was protecting the railway bridge over the over what's yeah. called the Krom River. Do you know the one by um, Montuki? Yes. Uh, on top of that. It's uh, on top of that little mountain pass. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's the but only no, one I know of. <laughs> but I mean, there, there's one just south of Johannesburg. If you drive down on the Vereniging Highway, there's actually a, a, a little petrol stop called i think they actually call it the blockhouse stop okay and there's an old blockhouse that they've tried to restore several times but uh the corrugated iron keeps getting stolen uh oh. to disappear into the local squatter camp yeah that's so a bit of a pity and it's, <laughs> it's right there at 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 one of the i think i think it's an ultra city on the free highway probably 40 50k south of joburg on the free highway okay so if you if you want to go see a blockhouse from johannesburg that's that's the closest one is it correct to call those blockhouses forts as well? It would be a fort, yeah, fortified. I mean, fort okay. comes from fortification. Yeah. So these are fortified houses. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. when you look at them, it's serious, double, triple brick. I mean, the, the, the walls are probably half a meter thick to withstand yeah. rifle fire. You know, the, the windows are tiny, shuttered little slits with, if it still remains, serious steel shuttering yeah. that you could yeah. close up and you've got a tiny little porthole to shoot through. Yeah. So yeah, definitely fort. It would it would be a little mini fort. Okay. Because I know a lot of people call them forts. Yeah. <coughs> so coming up from Cape Town, Three Sisters is your next des- decision point. I gave you the first one in Liuhamka. Three Sisters is your second decision point. Whether you carry on now with the N1 straight up to Johannesburg, or you bend off on the N12, which then again eventually takes you up through to Kimberley. And <coughs> should you decide to go up on the N12, your first little town is Victoria West. Again, tiny little towns, but it's interesting countryside. It's all very, very flat. Lots of these salt pans kind of areas. Typical, typical Karoo. Yeah. Lots of sheep, lots of goats. But if you stop on those roads and you actually just take a breath, you can smell that Karoo. And it's a particular shrubby 
kind of low Karoo growth, which also, of course, gives the gives the yeah. mutton and the lamb that particular flavour yes. that is that, that that makes those areas so famous. The Karoo. And uh, in tribute to another friend of mine, um, when you always talk about the Karoo windmills, he says to me, "It's not a windmill because a windmill." Is something that grinds. Yeah, yeah. So a windmill is like in the Netherlands or the old Mostert's mill that unfortunately got burnt down, but I hear it's being restored again in Cape Town after those devastating fires a couple of months ago. Okay. Mostert's mill was actually a working mill. And the the sail, the, the fan in the front, actually drives grinding stones. That's what a mill yeah. does. So it, it yes. grinds grain or the harvest. That's what a windmill. Yeah. So you don't see windmills in the Karoo. You see wind pumps yes. in the Karoo. It's a wind pump. The Afrikaners had the rachegreit. It's a wind pump. It's not a windmill. So the, the English have got it wrong. So it's actually wind pump. Okay. <laughs> and you, again, just iconic South African stuff. Flat Karoo, little flat flat copies, wind pump in the distance, gently squeaking yeah. away, pumping up water. And believe it or not, there's actually a reasonable amount of water still in, in, down in there, the yeah. Karoo. It's and not then, above ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then on the N12, the next one you hit is Britstown. Also, dusty little nothing, but major intersections. You've got the N10 coming in. You've got the N12 coming in. You've got another arterial road heading off down to, towards the west. Okay, so there's a lot of traffic going through there. Yeah, but the old Trinity Church in Britstown is was a tiny little museum and strangely enough Britstown has even got links to David Livingston because Britstown was named after David Livingston's Dutch speaking guide Mr. Hans Brits. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's <laughs> where Britstown's come from. Okay. And so why did they uh, name it after him? Uh, who knows. <laughs> I will I can research that one for you. I can research that one for you. N12, a pretty lonely little 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 road, but then you hit Stradenburg, and I love the story of Stradenburg, because like I said earlier, when you get four foot-trekkers in a room, you've got five, five political parties and um, six different churches, <laughs> and Stradenburg is exactly what that is. Stradenburg, you translate Stradenburg, it becomes town of argument. Yeah. That's, that's exactly <laughs> that's what it translates rich. into. <laughs> Because they couldn't agree what farm to use to put the town on. Oh, so that they, they couldn't decide, you know, Fricky's farm or Quirsi's farm, which farm we're going to use. And it, and it developed into a hell of an argument to the extent <laughs> that, the town, that they christened the town Stradenburg. <laughs> and eventually they, they, they laid it out on a place called Roerepan. And again, Roerepan pans, that entire area, these little flat areas, etc., etc. And... Yeah. If you go slightly further over to the west, you start hitting some of the very, very serious salt flats. And that's where guys like Malcolm Campbell set the land speed records. Um, there's actually currently oh, guys doing yeah. it up towards the Kalahari mm. with some kind of weird jet engine, jet engine car. Yeah. Um, just before lockdown, they were using uh, those, those salt flats yeah. um, for land speed record claims. <clears throat> and then from there... Onwards, you start. You go up through Hope Town, where the diamonds were discovered. Again, beautiful churches, Bible. There's a Bible monument in Hope Town, which is quite interesting. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of monuments to churches and stuff. There's very few monuments to actual Bibles. There's a Bible monument in Hope yeah, Town. I've never heard of a Bible monument before. <laughs> that's that's a new one for me. Yeah. And um, <laughs> now hours gone. <laughs> and hours already gone. Can you and then it? just after Hope Town, you're getting into Kimberley. And Kimberley again, I mean, the history in Kimberley with the, the fights and the battles from the Anglo-Boer War, First War of Independence around Kimberley, the siege of Kimberley is just mind-blowing. We can spend an entire episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Kimberley's Kim- one. Kimberley. The siege, that sounds interesting. That I've, got, I've got three more tiny little towns to remember. I've, I've, you've got to give me, I've still got a minute. That's, that's if you're on the N1, if you're on the <laughs> N1 and you're going up the N1, you've got Richmond, you've got Hanover and you've got Colesburg. Okay. Those are, those are some of the, the Richmond. Yeah. Stunning little spot. It's got a saddle horse museum. Ah. One of two in the world. Saddle horses. A museum dedicated to horses is in Richmond. Oh. Okay. Which is kind of weird. Also makes it kind of interesting. And um, Richmond also for, we're using big words. We started off tautology, so we'll use the big word bi- bibliophile. Bibliophile. Bibliophile, people who love books. <laughs> One of the yeah. biggest bookshops is actually in Richmond. Oh. And the story is that the guy who owns it bought up old provincial libraries. As provincial and little little town library oh. shutting down, wow. he bought these books up, and he combined three or four houses along one of the streets there into one big house. Oh, and the place is just books. It's wall to wall books, old books. books, new books, collectors' pieces. You've got to get into the little bookshop in Richmond. Sure, and you will not if you love books. You will not come out of there unscathed. You will you will <laughs> come out with some little treasure that you found. Yeah, or whole trolley full. <laughs> okay, Hanover. Richmond, Richmond also got a fantastic little restaurant around the back that serves awesome babooties. Uh, <laughs> Hanover, Hanover is an interesting little town. Again, tiny little dorpy, dusty place. It's got a nice little little stop. Again, a great built-on shop. I seem to be able to find great built-on shops. <laughs> but yeah. in the in the Dutch Reformed Church, there, the first minister of that Dutch Reformed Church in Hanover was a Reverend Thomas Francois Burgers. And he actually eventually became the president of the Transvaal Republic, oh, Francois wow. Burgers. Okay. So there's a fascinating history with this guy from being a, a, a minister in a really dusty little town, become, becoming president of the Transvaal. And then Colesburg, awesome. we're talking about England and uh, the wars and stuff. Colesburg has got a very unique little memorial in it, yeah. which was raised by public subscription of the residents of Colesburg for the jubilee celebrations of Queen Victoria's reign. Okay. So the residents of Colesburg were feeling all imperialistic and, and um, English-like. They raised enough funds to put up this little memorial. Yeah. And eventually Victoria spent a total of 60, 64 years as Queen of England and Empress of, of India, etc., etc. Yeah. And an interesting part of her reign is that for every single year of her 64-year reign, England was involved in a war somewhere around the world. <laughs> she never had a year of peace. Her forces, her army yeah. was involved in a war somewhere for the, all those 64 years. I wouldn't have liked to have been married to her. It's, it must be war at home as well. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. Albert was apparently the, the Albert and Victoria apparently very, very much in very much in love. Okay. And 
She actually died during the course of the Anglo-Boer War. She died in 1901. And the throne actually remained vacant. George refused to take the crown until the peace had been signed in South Africa. Oh, wow. Okay, he, he that's realized the, the implications and the anti-war feeling of this war in South Africa was so great that he, yeah. th- he knew he had to end the, the, the war in South Africa before he could actually be crowned. Yeah. And that's just a little interesting aside. So in 1902, once the Peace of Vereniging had been signed, then only did George take over as, as, as King of England. Yeah. That is so awesome. Now, I've been naughty again. <clears throat> you were talking about Beaufort Bass and Three Sisters, so I've lined them up to play. <laughs> you, you know that one, Tien uh, Jordan, uh, beautiful in Beaufort Bass? Oh, yes. And then uh, the, the, the Peter Kuhn uh, Three Sisters. Oh, yes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Don't forget about the Mikey's Fontaine competition. Yes, do not forget about the Monkeys Fontaine competition. I wish I could win it. That would be awesome. But I can't, unfortunately. But anyway, you guys can. So hope you guys enjoy the show. Diedrich takes us all around South Africa, talking about all kinds of interesting little places he's been to and much more. Uh, thank you, Diedrich. Awesome to have you here again. Again, good show, and an hour still not long enough. We need <laughs> yeah. to change the timings. Yeah, I think we need to do that because this is too short. <laughs> but thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Tune in. Download the podcast. Lots of interesting stuff there to listen to as well. Yes, go check the Facebook page. Um, all the links, it's right at the top. I've pinned it to the top. All the links are there you are looking for. And uh, awesome. Have a great afternoon. And let's kick off with Tien Don, Beautiful and Beaufort Vase.